Episode 8. The Presbyterian Offensive. During this part of Queen Elizabeth's reign, Thomas Cartwright became increasingly active in the reform movement, playing a significant role in intensifying the Puritan attitude towards church ceremony and organization. However facing trouble with the authorities due to his activism, he relocated to Ireland for two years. During this period, he acted as a personal chaplain to Adam Loftus, who was the Archbishop of Armagh. This environment proved more hospitable to Puritans such as himself, in stark contrast to England. William Brewster was born about 1565 in the village of Scrooby, on North Nottinghamshire's border with Yorkshire, the son of William Brewster and Mary Prudence. His father, who lived in Scrooby, married Mary Simkinson Nay Smythe, a widow, previously married to John Simkinson of Doncaster. From his mother's side, Brewster came from a literate family that contained local ministers, civic members and the successful Smythe family of merchants based on the nearby Humber estuary. Scrooby Manor, the birthplace of Brewster, was in the ownership of the York Archbishops, while being rented out to Sir Samuel, son of Edwin Sandys. Brewster's father held the position of postmaster or manor bailiff, a role assigned by Archbishop Edmund Grindal, Sandys' predecessor. The title of postmaster, along with the principal responsibility for the stagecoach horses for the mail on the Great North Road, went with this post. Scrooby's position on the primary land path between London and Scotland made it ideal. In 1565, in an effort to enhance their textile industry, the authorities of Norwich extended an invitation to Protestant refugees in the Spanish Netherlands to establish a settlement. Thirty weaving families, consisting of 24 Flemish and six French-speaking Walloons, eagerly accepted the invitation and embarked on their transformative journey from Flanders. Identified as strangers, they sought political refuge in England, their Spanish overlords not embracing their Calvinist convictions or desire for political independence. The Walloons are recognized as a unique ethnic group, originating from Wallonia which is presently known as the French-speaking regions of southern Belgium. This also includes adjacent regions in France, Germany, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. Archbishop Parker worked further on his book of ecclesiastical articles, which Cecil had previously rejected in 1565. He resubmitted the work to Cecil on 28 March, 1566 and received approval to publish it under the title of Advertisements. The intention of the publication was to aid in the management of public prayers, sacred rites, and the attire of religious personnel. Elizabeth continued to withhold her formal permission and support for the book, eventually informing the bishops that they must exercise their legal authority and own judgments. The Queen was determined to remain unscathed from any potential fallout, ensuring the bishops alone would bear the brunt. Archbishop Parker, therefore, issued them under the title of advertisements without royal sanction or authority. Acknowledging the difficulties of donning the cope during a religious communion ceremony, the advertisements agreed to insist on the sole usage of the surplus. Therefore, the surplus was the designated clerical attire for all services in the parish church, 
while the cope was exclusively reserved for communion services in cathedral churches. The enforcement of conformity under penalty of deprivation sparked violent disagreements, souring Parker's final years and causing the first open separation of nonconformists from the Church of England. Archbishop Matthew Parker's decision to enforce conformity in Easter 1566 caused uproar in London. Consequently, he had no choice but to suspend the 37 ministers who refused to wear the surplice, leaving numerous parishes without a minister for their Easter services. In the end, a total of 14 ministers were dismissed by the authorities. Some of the most radical clerics started to lead illegal services, an action that revived the London Underground Church. The resurgence of the Underground Church was one of the early examples of the emergence of Puritan separatism. One member, John Smith, later shared his thoughts. When we arrived at the moment when your law had banned all our preachers. And as we contemplated our next step, we remembered that during Queen Mary's reign we actually had our own congregation, right here in this very city. Soon after Elizabeth I ascended to the throne in 1558, the London Underground Church disbanded. She banned the Catholic Church in England, Wales, and Ireland, reinstating the Church of England as the state religion. Despite all these factors, the Queen's inclination towards Anglo-Catholicism and her decision to mandate the use of traditional vestments among Anglican clergy, sparked the emergence of Puritanism. The movement aimed to purify the Anglican communion by removing all pre-Reformation customs and traditions. The London Underground Church originated as a radical fringe of the Church of England. Over time, during the reigns of Elizabeth and James I, it would be transformed into a covert Puritan collective, operating outside the law. Over time, different factions would emerge, identifying themselves as separatists, and would eventually break from the Church of England joining the Brownist or Puritan movements. Leaders of this underground movement included ministers Richard Fitz, John Brown, Mr. Pattinson, William Bonham and Nicholas Crane and the layman William White. On 16 June, 1567, law enforcement found a congregation of a hundred individuals worshipping illegally at the Plumbers Hall Anchor Lane, detaining and arresting seventeen of their leaders. Edmund Grindal, the Anglican Bishop of London, conducted a meticulous interrogation of all those involved, diligently documenting the details of the discussions. Later, other arrests would occur off Pudding Lane, in the house of James Tin, a goldsmith, and the dwelling place of Bishop Grindle's servant. Pudding Lane, a small London street between Eastcheap and Thames Street got its name from the butchers of Eastcheap Market, who used it to transport pudding or offal down to the river to be taken away by waste barges. In 1666, Pudding Lane became notorious when a devastating fire broke out at Thomas Farriner's bakery engulfing medieval London in a destructive blaze that ultimately consumed 85% of the city. The Duke of Alva's escalating religious persecutions led to a surge in Protestant refugees from the Spanish-ruled Dutch regions, seeking sanctuary in Norwich from 1567. Locally, these refugees were referred to as strangers, and at their height, they made up more than a third of Norwich's population. The invaluable skills of these numerous strangers significantly boosted the growing textile industry, as Elizabethan England was technologically behind compared to its European peers. 
despite Sir William Cecil's suspicions of many, using the pretext of escaping religious persecution, the government was generally receptive towards these asylum seekers. The government considered their economic value to be the most important factor, although they did have some sympathy for their persecuted fellow Protestants. In 1568, with the agreement of William Cecil, leading members of the underground movement set off for Scotland intending to relocate their church. However, they were disheartened when they realised John Knox would not endorse their departure from the Church of England, forcing them to revise their original plans. By the close of the 1560s, the movement saw internal divisions, with one breakaway faction being led by Richard Fitz. Over time, the group's numbers would dwindle from a thousand London residents to a mere handful due to persecution and internal strife. Yet, the Fitz Church managed to endure well into the 1580s. In 1568, the early Elizabethan Puritan movement's leader, John Field, secured an appointment as a lecturer, curate, and schoolmaster in his native city of London. As an able administrator, he worked at the very centre of the Elizabethan Puritan movement. Field, being a writer, firmly believed in the power of print. John Field was born in 1545, a British Puritan clergyman and controversialist. When Edmund Grindal ordained him in 1566 at 21, he was already a Bachelor of Arts of Christ Church, Oxford. Field's early ordination was exceptional, as the canonical age for ordination in the British Church was usually no younger than 24. James Brewster, the brother of separatist William Brewster, was born in 1568 in Scrooby, Nottinghamshire. Around this time, Mary Brewster, their mother, died aged about 43, perhaps due to complications in childbirth. At the age of 34, following his placement in Ireland, Thomas Cartwright returned to England in 1569, taking up the position of Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Cambridge. In November 1566, Henry Barrow had become a student at Clare Hall, Cambridge, earning his BA three years later. The Barrow family had strong ties to Nicholas Bacon through marriage, making it highly likely that they were also connected to John Aylmer, the esteemed Bishop of London. Barrow, born in Norfolk around 1549, lived an indulgent, if not fervent life as a young bachelor, often indulging in gambling. Starting from 1576, for a couple of years, he held a membership at Gray's Inn but was never summoned to the bar. In February 1570, Queen Elizabeth was declared a heretic and excommunicated by Pope Pius V through a papal bull. This public decree called upon Catholics to remove her from the throne, absolving them from any allegiance towards Elizabeth. The Pope had seen an opportunity to take advantage of the situation caused by the arrival of Mary Queen of Scots, and the recent rebellion by the Northern Earls, aiming to harness the discontent for his own advantage. His strategy included deploying Jesuit clergymen into England to establish a Catholic underground movement. In 1570, Edmund Grindall was handpicked by Queen Elizabeth to fulfil the role of Archbishop of York, a city with little Puritan influence. It was primarily the Roman Catholics who would face force and intimidation under his administration. The Presbyterian offensive began early in 1570. Shortly after his election to the prestigious Lady Margaret Professorship, 
Thomas Cartwright a longtime opponent of vestments introduced the full scope of the Presbyterian discipline to English theologians. In a series of lectures based on the Book of Acts, he declared that every congregation should be free to elect its ministers. Proposing that control of the church should be in the hands of a local hierarchy consisting of the minister and the congregation's elders. Cartwright further asserted that the authority wielded by archbishops and bishops had no foundation in the Bible and was therefore unacceptable, declaring that the structure of the Church of England was contrary to that prescribed by Scripture, and that Calvin had established the correct model at Geneva. He proposed that the guiding principle was to model the Church on what existed in apostolic times. If implemented, the inevitable consequence of this principle would have been the total abolition of the diocesan episcopacy, and the establishment of Presbyterianism. Cartwright's definition lifted the Puritan movement from its obsession with detail, and threw down a challenge the established church could not afford to ignore. Even the usually tolerant Edmund Grindal, the Archbishop of York, felt compelled to write to Secretary of State William Cecil indicating the significance of the conversations regarding Cartwright's message. In it, he wrote, there is one Cartwright, Bachelor of Divinity and reader of my Lady Margaret's Divinity Lecture, who I am credibly informed is making daily abusive and reproachful language in his lectures. Many young individuals from the university eagerly flock to listen to him, risking the possibility of them being led astray, a situation that could only harm the church. Although not completely new. Cartwright's ideas continued to gain considerable popularity among the younger generation of scholars at Cambridge. This sparked a great intellectual passion across the university, posing a formidable challenge to the established foundations of the Elizabethan Church. To the conservative Cambridge dons, Cartwright's challenge to the episcopal system required an immediate response and action. They decided to seek the assistance of William Cecil, the university's chancellor, in order to discipline their precocious scholar. Despite being distracted, in the aftermath of the 1569 Northern Rebellion, in which an attempt was made to put Mary Stuart on the English throne, Cecil gave the dons the go-ahead to handle Cartwright as they deemed appropriate. Therefore, the responsibility for dealing with Cartwright fell to John Whitgift the master of Trinity College who had recently been elected Cambridge's vice-chancellor. William Cecil backed Whitgift in swiftly revising the university's constitutional framework, transferring authority over to the less extreme college leaders. Regardless of how much public backing Cartwright had, it wouldn't be enough to rescue him, and in December, he vainly defended himself in front of a disciplinary committee. Cartwright was in dire need of increased support from the powerful college leaders. Without their backing, one result was inevitable. Thomas Cartwright lost the position of Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity, because he had not undergone priestly ordination within the five years stated in his fellowship appointment. Cartwright's actions, whether regarded as use or misuse of his positions, had led to all this. He vehemently denounced the structure and constitution of the Anglican Church, contending that bishops did not wield such an extent of influence in the early Christian Church. Presbyterianism adheres to the Calvinist theological tradition, organizing its congregations according to a Presbyterian polity as a branch of Protestant Christianity. It belongs to the Reformed tradition in Protestantism, mapping its roots back to Great Britain, specifically Scotland. 
Presbyterian churches derive their name from the Presbyterian form of church government, governed by representative assemblies of elders. A significant number of Reformed churches organize themselves in this way. Presbyterian theology typically emphasizes the sovereignty of God, the authority of the Scriptures, and the necessity of grace through faith in Christ. The Puritans were dismayed to discover that the bishops had amalgamated the Vestarian controversy with the mandate requiring clergy to subscribe to the 39 Articles. Henceforth, the bishops demanded that the clergy pledge to the 39 Articles while also mandating an oath, affirming that the usage of the Book of Common Prayer and the donning of vestments were in line with Scripture. This requirement incensed many Puritan clergies who proposed an alternative bill for Parliament's approval. The bill aimed to allow deviations from the Book of Common Prayer in cases where the book went against individual clergy's conscience. However, Parliament defeated the bill at the next session. The Puritans accepted neither the Pope nor the English monarch as having religious authority beside or above Scripture. In the beginning, they were greatly impacted by the doctrine of predestination in Calvinism. This doctrine emphasizes that salvation is solely dependent on God's grace and that individuals are accountable only to God. By the end of the 16th century, Puritanism, a powerful grassroots movement for change, had been driven underground due to its perceived offense to England's clergy and king. However, during this time, the Puritans did not consider themselves separatists but reformists. After all the upheavals at Cambridge and his deprivation by John Whitgift, Thomas Cartwright decided he must travel to Geneva. He lectured at the Academy in Geneva, where his path crossed with Beza, and he got to witness close up, Beza's Presbyterian governance. Meanwhile, Cartwright's expulsion from England did not end Puritan pressure, as he had only clarified what people were already thinking. Away from Cambridge the London Puritans continued to draw motivation from the Calvinist churches established by overseas congregations. Theodore Beza was born in Burgundy, France, on 24 June 1519. A French Reformed Protestant theologian and scholar, often referred to as Calvin's successor, he played an essential role in the Reformation. An advocate for all Reformed congregations, Beza journeyed far and wide through Europe, and consequently, Beza had been absent from Geneva for 22 months. Due to Calvin's illness and inability to work, it became imperative for him to return home, stepping into the vacant roles in both the school and the church. In 1559, Beza founded the new Geneva Academy with Calvin, which was destined to become a training ground for promoting Calvinist doctrines. Calvin and Beza had agreed to alternate their responsibilities on a weekly basis. Unfortunately, Calvin's untimely death on 27 May, 1564, cut their arrangement short, and so naturally, Beza stepped up to assume his esteemed position. Thus, Beza moderated the company of pastors and was the real soul of that famous learning institute in Geneva until 1580. For nearly twenty years, Protestant youth had thronged his lecture room to hear his theological lectures listening spellbound while he presented the purest Calvinistic creed. Theodore Beza succeeded John Calvin, becoming the spiritual leader of the Republic of Geneva. He died peacefully in Geneva on 13 October, 1605. 
John Field quickly gained recognition in London through his lectures and teachings, before finally emerging as a leading figure in the most revolutionary faction of the Puritan movement. He passionately championed for an overhaul of the Act of Uniformity, aiming to eliminate what he perceived as Roman Catholic influences in English religious customs. He was consistently strident in his criticisms of the Church of England and in 1571 was barred from preaching for eight years. On 25 February 1571, Queen Elizabeth promoted William Cecil to the peerage as first Baron Burley. It was a pivotal moment in his life, honour and dignity held immense significance for him, compelling him to go to great lengths in upholding traditional codes of conduct. After his elevation, Cecil continued acting as Secretary of State, illustrating the growing importance the Queen now attached to that office. Although they didn't dispute Elizabeth's right to rule, or had any links to a foreign entity, the Puritans were still a considerable threat due to their affluence and their role as Parliament members. Elizabeth encountered one of her initial significant obstacles in 1571, when Walter Strickland a prominent Puritan Parliament member, proposed a bill in the Commons. The bill's objective was to amend the prayer book to reflect Puritan values. Elizabeth promptly dissolved Parliament, prohibiting the Commons from proposing any bills concerning religion. Her actions laid the groundwork for future unrest, as many Puritan MPs would eventually confront and challenge Elizabeth on the issue of freedom of speech. At the heart of it all was their desire to talk about Elizabeth's religion without fear of repercussions. In 1572, Robert Brown successfully completed his BA degree at Corpus Christi College. Following his graduation, he dedicated several years of his life to teaching as a schoolmaster in Oundle Stamford and Bury St. Edmunds. Robert Brown had enrolled in Corpus Christi College, Cambridge, aged about 20. Born around 1550, he came from a noble family in Rutland, and had a distant connection to William Cecil who would later become the first Baron Burley, and it was to his guardianship that Brown was greatly indebted. Robert Harrison had enrolled at St. John's College Cambridge in 1564, obtaining his MA in 1567 at Corpus Christi College Cambridge. In 1572, Robert Harrison was awarded his BA at Corpus Christi College. Undoubtedly the Calvinistic-style lectures given by Thomas Cartwright at the pro-Puritan Cambridge University had a profound impact on both Robert Brown and Robert Harrison. Throughout the 1560s, England's return to Protestantism remained tentative, and many people were still committed to, and sought a return to Catholicism. However, around this time, two events would ultimately lead to the reinforcement of Protestantism in England. The first event, was the Rising of the North of 1569, also called the Revolt of the Northern Earls or Northern Rebellion. It was an unsuccessful attempt by Catholic nobles from Northern England to depose Queen Elizabeth, and replace her with Mary Queen of Scots. The second event was an intrigue named the Rodolphi Plot. The failure of a Spanish invasion, aiming to put Mary Stuart Queen of Scots on the throne, led to Thomas Howard IV Duke of Norfolk's execution in 1572. It also had the effect of discrediting Mary Stuart and the pro-Spanish supporters. Scotland's primary religion being Protestant can be attributed in part to the unwavering efforts of preachers, such as George Wishart and John Knox. 
they fervently attracted and inspired the most prestigious and powerful sectors of Scottish society to take up the Protestant mission. The Catholic Church's failure to acknowledge and effectively confront the looming threat of Protestantism also contributed to this outcome. The uprising was as much about politics as it was about spirituality, it was led by the aristocrats against Mary of Geese, who was the mother of Queen Mary and Regent of Scotland in the late 1550s. Their aim was to alter Scotland's diplomatic alignment from its long-standing association with Catholic France. During the 1550s, this alliance posed a threat to Scotland's sovereignty, as the underage queen was married to Francois, France's crown prince. George Wishart was born around 1513, he was a Scottish Protestant reformer and one of the early Protestant martyrs, burned at the stake as a heretic. He studied at the University of Aberdeen before travelling across Europe, where he likely first encountered reformed doctrines. The University of Aberdeen was founded in 1495 when William Elphinstone, Bishop of Aberdeen, petitioned Pope Alexander VI on behalf of James IV to establish King's College. As one of the four original universities in Scotland, it is the fifth oldest university in the English-speaking world. While teaching Greek in Montrose, he found himself under investigation following charges of heresy by the Bishop of Brecon. In 1538, he fled to England, and the following year, Thomas Cromwell brought a similar charge against him in Bristol. However, following an examination by Archbishop Thomas Cranmer he recanted some of his declaration. In 1539 or 1540 he likely visited Germany and Switzerland, but by 1542 he had entered Corpus Christi College Cambridge, where he studied and taught. In 1543, he returned to Scotland, accompanying a Scottish delegation that had travelled to London to explore the possibility of a marriage pact between Prince Edward and the young Mary Queen of Scots. Subsequently, he returned to Montrose, where he again taught scripture. His career as an itinerant preacher began in 1544, making his way across Scotland from the east to the west. His disciple, John Knox, later narrated his story. Risking his life, he openly criticised the mistakes and misconduct of the papacy. He journeyed relentlessly, passionately delivering sermons in the churches of Montrose, Dundee, Eyre, Perth, Edinburgh, Leith, Haddington, and countless others, all leading up to his eventual capture and heartbreaking betrayal at the hands of the Earl of Bothwell. Wishart was arrested in Ormiston on 16 January, and it was there that Bothwell promised to protect him. Instead, Bothwell on the order of the Privy Council, agreed to deliver his prisoner into the custody of the governor before 30 January. The 33-year-old George Wishart was taken captive to the town of St Andrews, where he was tried by a clerical assembly found guilty, and condemned as an obstinate heretic. The following day, on March 1, he was executed, hanged on a gibbet, his body burned on the castle green at St Andrews. His persecutor, Cardinal David Beaton, looked at the scene from the windows of the castle, where he himself would be assassinated within three months. John Knox was the foremost leader of the Scottish Reformation, responsible for setting the austere moral tone of the Church of Scotland, shaping the democratic form of government it was to adopt. He was influenced by George Wishart, who was burned for heresy in 1546, and the following year Knox became the spokesman for the Reformation in Scotland.
In 1559, after periods of intermittent imprisonment and exile in England and Europe, he returned to Scotland where he supervised the preparation of the constitution and liturgy of the Reformed Church. John Knox's writings and determination to fight for a Protestant Scotland saw the Scottish nation and its identity changed forever. His most important literary work was his History of the Reformation in Scotland. John Knox returned home for the last time in late 1572, after inducting James Lawson of Aberdeen as the Minister of St Giles Edinburgh, marking the end of an era. Gathering his friends around him and some of the greatest Scottish lords, Knox asked them to read passages from his Bible aloud. Aged just 58, on his last day, the 24th of November, 1572, his young wife Margaret read aloud to him from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In it, Paul warns against divisions within the church, emphasizing the importance of unity among church members. He warns members against sexual immorality, teaching that the body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, and encourages self-discipline. James Douglas, the newly elected regent of Scotland, delivered a powerful testimony of Knox at his graveside in the churchyard of St Giles, saying, Here lies one, who never feared any flesh. The paltry sum of money Knox could bequeath to his family, which would have left them in dire poverty, showed that he had not profited from his work in the Kirk. Lord Morton, the regent, deserves credit for ensuring that he would continue to provide the stipend to Knox's widow for one year after his passing. This thoughtful gesture ensured that Knox's dependents received adequate support, even in his absence. Knox's influence on the Puritan movement in England was significant, some even named John Knox the first Puritan. John Knox's death in 1572 still left the Scottish Reformation incomplete. However, a Scottish Protestant king, James VI, the son of Mary Stuart Queen of Scots, now ruled Scotland. He would also inherit the crown of England to become King James I of England, uniting both countries under Protestantism. Scotland's national religion still remains Protestant, demonstrating that the Scottish Reformation Knox started there in 1560 was a long-standing success. The International Monument to the Reformation, usually known as the Reformation Wall, was inaugurated in 1909 in Geneva, Switzerland. The wall stands within the premises of the University of Geneva, honoring the legacy of John Calvin, its founder. It was constructed to celebrate both Calvin's 400th birthday and the 350th anniversary of the university's establishment. At the center of the monument, ordered from left to right, are four, five-meter-tall statues of Calvinism's main advocates, William Ferrell, John Calvin, Theodore Beza, and John Knox.